This episode is sponsored by LifeAid. Now, LifeAid has several products, one of which I want to highlight because it's so pertinent to you, the sleep-deprived audience. Their product, FocusAid, is a healthy alternative to the energy drinks that I see so many of us relying on because we are exhausted. There's no other way of putting it. These energy drinks that I've seen are putting our men and women into hospitals with arrhythmias, GI distress, adding to anxiety, certainly affecting mental health. So what FocusAid has done is they've removed all the terrible ingredients and used natural, healthy ingredients, natural sweeteners, and replaced the high levels of caffeine with a nootropic. And what a nootropic is, is a supplement for your brain. As a first responder, I can attest that this then allows you to be alert on a call, but when it is time to rest, to go to bed, whether it's the end of the shift, whether it's after a call, you're actually able to not only sleep, but get a better quality of sleep as well. So an incredible product I urge you guys to try, and LifeAid has reached out to you, the audience, to offer you a discount of 15% if you use the discount code SHIELD at lifeaidbevco.com. So that's L-I-F-E-A-I-D-B-E-V-C-O.com. Use the code SHIELD, which is S-H-I-E-L-D, and please try this. It's going to end up being less expensive than the drinks that you're using And I'm telling you right now, it's an incredible product. And please reach out and let me know what you think. This episode of the Behind the Shield podcast is brought to you by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for well over a decade. And they are offering you a 15% discount on every order. And I will tell you that code in just a moment. But I want to do another product highlight. And I can testify, as with the other ones, through personal experience. I wore a 511 uniform way back when I worked for Anaheim Fire in California. So we're talking 13 years ago. And I know for a fact that some of my brothers and sisters I work with still wear some of the clothes that they were given when I was hired there. So some of the job shirts, jackets. And this really kind of resonated with me because I realized so many of the departments I've worked at, there are men and women with lockers crammed with old, worn, frayed uniform. And that really represents wasted budget. So to have uniforms with durability means that you don't have to purchase them as often. Now you can apply that budget elsewhere. Another area they've really focused on is redesigning their women's first responder uniforms. I am a skinny six foot tall man and some of these uniforms I'm issued literally hang off me like a trash bag. And I can imagine it's even worse being a female first responder. So they have really taken that into account and redesigned the cuts so they're far more flattering to the female firefighter, first responder, medic, etc. On top of that, several departments I work for have gone from job shirts to polo shirts. 511 has those. And then to underline a product I've already talked about, They have the footwear. I wore the CST slip-on boot for a long time from 511. And now the Norris sneaker that you've heard me talk about is a lightweight duty boot that puts far less pressure on the ankles and knees, the back, etc. So as I mentioned before, they are offering you guys a continuous 15% discount. And all you have to do is use the code SHIELD at checkout at 511tactical.com. So once again, code SHIELD at 511tactical.com. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. My name is James Gearing, and this is episode 268. And I'm so excited this week to be addressing an area that I haven't discussed very much, which is electricity. So my guest is lineman Ryan Lucas. And Ryan's not only a career lineman, but he also began a podcast similar to this not too long ago to bring health and wellness to his profession. 
So what's most striking is there are so many parallels between line work and first responder work. So you'll hear us discuss a lot of those and obviously the intersection where linemen need us and then times when we need them. So this is definitely a synchronistic relationship between these two professions. Before we get to that interview, though, please take a moment, go to the podcast app that you listen to this on, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is, and subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and then most importantly, leave a rating. The more five-star ratings the podcast gets, the more visible it is to everyone that's looking for this podcast and therefore able to obtain this information from all these amazing guests. And then on top of that, take your social media and share There's so much negativity in social media, but there are so many positive things out there. And this is definitely one great use of that platform to share these amazing men and women's stories and bring solutions to so many of the problems that are preventable in the world. So with that being said, I introduce to you Ryan Lucas. Enjoy. So, Ryan, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Show podcast. Thanks, James. I'm really, really excited for this opportunity to share with you. Brilliant. So, um, we obviously connected after you were doing your podcast and you were in the lineman world. Obviously, I've got mine in the first responder world. Um, so, I'm looking forward to you know discussing the parallels because I think that your profession is truly one that comes up over and over again as far as being respected by us because most of us if we're honest are not comfortable working around electricity so it'll be i think it's going to be an interesting uh conversation to compare notes of our two professions uh equally excited about that it's uh definitely one of those paralleling worlds and um firefighting and firemen come up in the lineman industry a lot um so yeah excited about this one perfect all right so where on planet earth are we finding you today I'm in Vancouver, Canada today. This is home for me now. It's been home for about five years. Um, it's a absolutely gem of a city when it's sunny. <laughs> um, this time of this time of the the year, it's kind of like a bit like England, I would imagine, kind of cold and wet and rainy. Um, but in the summer, when it's nice out, you've got the ocean and the mountains right there, fully accessible, uh, just a beautiful city to live in. So that's where we are today. Yeah, I think any city that births a god like Ryan Adams, um, or, oh. I'm sorry, Brian Adams, excuse me, or Ryan Adams, maybe he's living <laughs> there too. I know he's a singer as well. Um, yeah, is, is truly worthy of a place on planet Earth. 100%. <laughs> All right. So um, I love to start at the very beginning. So where were you actually born and what was your family unit like, your family dynamic? Sure. I was born about 400, 500 kilometers from here. So probably about 300 miles, 250, 300 miles north in central British Columbia, a small town called Williams Lake. Uh, Williams Lake was a, or is a forestry and mining town, just a small town of about 10,000 in its central core and um, kind of a bigger surrounding area. But that's that's kind of what it was like. Okay. What did your parents do? Uh, I'm a second-generation lineman. So my father was a lineman as well. Um, he, a lineman and entrepreneur, he started out as an electrician and then became a lineman shortly after that and started up his own 
uh, power line company and ran that for about 25 years out of Williams Lake. It's, it's kind of one of those things, you know, being, being a small town entrepreneur, um, I got to see a lot of things as a kid that I don't think a lot of others get to see. Like it's hard running a, a small business in a small community like that. Uh, quite often, um, you know, witnessed him remortgaging th- things like remortgaging his house a couple of times just to make payroll. Um, it was really, really hard to get workers and linemen to come work in a small town. It was hard to pay them. So um, him and my mom would quite often have to, uh, put them up in their homes and provide room and board. So, you know, for my dad, that was, uh, was working these long hours running the business from the technical side of things. And, uh, for my mom, that was, she, she did the books, ran the front desk, all that back end stuff, and then would have to come home and, you know, make meals and keep the house together and keep the family dynamic going. So I learned quite a bit from that atmosphere growing up, you know, during the eighties and nineties was not really a, you know, a couple depressions during that time and pretty, pretty hard go for a small business in a small community. So that was a bit of the family dynamic. That's interesting because I grew up on a farm. My dad was a horse vet and we had the same kind of thing. We had a lot of people come through. I mean, and when I say this spectrum, I'm about to say, I don't mean it in any negative way at all, but everyone from gypsies all the way through to members of the extended royal family like it was just such a diverse group of people um and then we would have <clears throat> people um blacksmiths and you know trainee vets and some of them would live with us so a very similar um kind of dynamic and for for me it was such a great um tapestry of the world you know some people had a lot of money some people have very little but you truly could just see who was good and who was bad and that was the only real paradox what was your experience with seeing all these different adults come through your home as a young child what i look back on and see from it now is this is where i first really um in really found storytelling i guess I, i didn't realize it at the time but when i look back on it it was um, they would, they would sit around the table most nights till, you know, wee hours of the morning telling stories of, uh, places they've gone, jobs they've worked on, um, people they've met and just told stories. And I would sit there and listen until, you know, mom kicked you, kicked you off to bed. Um, and you'd hear, hear these great tales of, cause in line work, there's a, a couple different directions you can go. You can choose to uh, work more of a district type job where you stay in one community and you just work locally for the utility um, in one kind of community, or you can choose to uh, choose like a road life, or they call it a tramp life, where you just pack up and you chase the the big jobs, those big transmission lines that you see, those big steel towers you see spanning country countrywide. Um, the construction of those happens usually away from where you live. And so you'll, you'll spend like long days and times and periods of time away from home working these jobs, but they take you through communities and through places around the world that are, uh, super interesting places. And, uh, you know, a lot of characters you meet along the way. So they would sit around the table telling stories of places they've been and jobs they've worked on, like I said. And um, I guess that was where I first really learned and liked to listen to stories being told. 
Yeah, that seems to be something that's really having a resurgence now. You look at our grandparents' generation and they would sit, you know, by the radio here, you know, just listening to someone telling a story. So obviously they have to create that story in their mind and then fast forward to television and, and cinema and video games. When you think about it, the story's already told for you. You don't have to imagine what Frodo looks like or, you know, E.T. I mean, it's all there. It's all painted for you. So that it kind of pulls away from from the imagination and, and I think the impact of that story. But seeing the huge surge in interest in, um, you know, in audiobooks, in podcasts, you can tell that there is a real desire to go back to that. And those stories are the things that, you know, helped soldiers transition back from wars, whether it's Native Americans or, you know, the, the more modern conflicts, um, you know, how to pass on even simple things like how to cook, how to fix a car. I mean, these were all st- storytelling when you look at it. And it's so inspiring to me to see this medium is really being, you know, yearned for again. And now all these incredible storytellers around the world through the internet have got this amazing platform now to reach out and tell their stories, whether it's mental health, physical health, you know, trauma, whatever it is, and really impact people because they can relate to the stories that are being told. A hundred percent agree with you. Uh, I guess carrying forward in, in my career, um, I I've always struggled with reading myself. Uh, my son, one of my, my middle child is severely dyslexic and I, I believe I've never been diagnosed, but believe that it was something I struggled with as well. Um, I've only read with my eyes, probably four books in my life and almost kind of got by all the time. So, um, but what I did do was start with audiobooks and I used to travel a lot to obviously on the road when I became a lineman I put you know 75,000 kilometers a year on my pickup truck just drive, driving to different places and so audiobooks were always a huge thing for me and now with podcasts like you say it's it's been incredible to learn from these mediums and from these people that are out there with such great stories and things to share things they know about um it's been it's been really cool absolutely all right well then so you are also doing a very physically demanding profession like we do um when you were at school age what kind of sports were you you know involved in I grew up like any um, any Canadian child from a small town. Um, all winter long, my brother and I would play ice hockey, and then all summer we would dirt bike, basically, or train for um, ice hockey in the winter. We both played pretty competitive um, ice hockey. He ended up going and playing minor pro uh, in Shreveport, Louisiana, until he had a um, an accident, water ski and slalom skiing, and broke, shattered his ankle. Um, but, you know, life kind of takes you in the directions it takes you. And he's in a good place now, owns a, owns and operates an ice rink and training facility. And he's found his gift as uh, training young athletes and, and kids in ice hockey and on and off ice training. So that's been pretty cool. But um, ice hockey was primarily my sport of choice growing up. Right. And being, and this is probably a silly question, but being in somewhat the wilderness, being in, in the, the rural areas, did that then transition well to the job you ended up doing? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, it, my whole childhood, like, like my brother, like I said, my brother and I played, played ice hockey. 
or we played outside like road hockey or road dirt bikes. Like that's all we cared about was uh, getting out of the house. And honestly, mom would just kick us out of the house. We lived out on acreage and, and then all of the acreage behind the house was this endless crown land or government land that you could ride on. So we'd be gone from first daylight in the morning um, till, you know, late in the evening, often it was dark. And this was pre, um, pre-internet, pre-cell phones, pre-any way to communicate really. So um, mom knew we were out back. She called it out back. <laughs> she knew we were back there, but she really had no clue where we were. But it taught us a lot about, um, you know, how to deal with situations like you'd, you'd fall, so you'd crash and hurt yourself or or, um, you know, break your bike, you'd have to figure out how to get home, get the tools and the equipment you needed and get back out there and fix your stuff and, and get home or how to deal with somebody being hurt. Um, it just, it kind of taught you different things as a, as a child growing up. So athletics, as well as stuff like that, I really appreciated my childhood and, and growing up differently like that. Yeah. All right. So then being the son of a lineman, when you were in high school, was that already your ambition or did you have something else in mind? Honestly, no. I, uh, a bit of a creative. Um, so I was thinking more along the lines of like some sort of graphic design or something like that. And it was actually, uh, um, I, during high school, I would work on the cruise. Sometimes I would do whatever kind of, uh, grunt work I could do. Um, or whatever I kind of could get by doing stocking trucks and things like that. Um, but one of the old, one of the old linemen that was working for, for my father kind of pulled me aside one day and he's like, he said, why don't you just think about doing an apprenticeship? He's like, you're, you're only 20. Why don't you just go do it? It's four years of your life. And when you're done, uh, really go on and do anything else you want, but at least you have a ticket in something. And, uh, you know, it's a smart thing to do. He's like, I think you should go home and actually think about this. So I, I went home, I thought about it that evening. I kind of came back the next day and I told my old man, I was like, okay, I think, uh, I think I'd like to give this a go. Um, I'll try it for this summer and see how it goes. And went out in the backyard and we used to have these poles that we'd set in the backyard for training purposes. We train, um, hurt man rescue or pole top rescues off of these poles. So I go out there with this same guy that was talking to me about joining the trade and he throws his spurs on the ground and, and his belt. He says, okay, get up the pole. Let's see how you do. And, uh, for anyone that doesn't know what this means, it's linemen wear little pointy spurs on their feet and a belt around their waist. And we climb these wooden poles that you see around the country. Um, so this was my first time doing this. I put these things on and I climbed up the pole. I got to the top and he kind of looked up and he, he had this weird look on his face and he's like, wow. He's like, you know what? You're actually pretty natural at this. Like I, I, I haven't really experienced this before. You, you're doing fairly well. <laughs> he was uh, fully expecting to give me shit for <laughs> not doing good <laughs> and harp on me a bit, but, uh, ended up, I ended up from that moment on, honestly, I really enjoyed the heights and I've always been like a bit of a climber anyway, like hiking and things like that. Or I enjoyed being at heights and was fairly comfortable there. So from that moment on, I was, I was hooked on this trade. Brilliant. Now you just mentioned the Hurt Man Rescue. Let's transition to that. I know again, this is further in the career, but um, how much training do you guys do on that? I know there's that one very iconic picture of uh, you know one lineman giving the other lineman the the kiss of life. Um, 
And I'm assuming he had some sort of training to be able to pull that out, out of his, you know, rear end at that height. So how much, um, training do you guys get on those kind of interventions? Honestly, um, not enough in my mind. We do it. Uh, some places are a little more diligent at training it than others. And it's one of those things that, um, some people even during training, I'm sure it's like any training, but they just, they, they kind of shrug it off as not really important until it's something that actually is important and, and needs to be done. Like in that fellow's situation, it was, you know, he took, he had obviously taken it seriously pre- previously in life and practiced it, but a lot of people don't give it the effort that it needs as well as um, a lot of people don't give it the attention and actually practice these things. Training is one of the things um, – I'm a, I'm a huge proponent, even in my, my job today, I've transitioned from the field type work. I spent 15 years working out in the field and now I'm in the, the management side of things. And, um, I actually am I'm running and a big proponent of running and starting this training department, the company I work for, because I believe so strongly in, um, in, in the training, that's more the the, the technical skill development and not so much the compliance based training though. Um, I'm, I'm not against the compliance stuff. It's just not my, um, my, my interest. My interest is developing the technical skill sets of line workers, as well as these things like practicing uh, hurt man rescues and pole top rescues and tower rescues and, and those sorts of things. Yeah, no, it's so important. And obviously, with with what you guys are dealing with, it's a life and death issue. Ours is normally, you know, of our lives, of course, but other people's lives as well. But you know, with you, I mean, I can only imagine one mistake, and you know, we sadly we've seen some of the the news footage. I mean, it, it doesn't take much to to kill a lineman. Actually, we lost a guy here in Ocala a few years ago. There, I, I just pulled up a couple statistics because I, um, I know a couple people that deal with recording these statistics. And uh, this year alone in the United States, there's been 27 fatalities uh, for, of, of line workers, um, almost 80 reported major injuries. And there's a couple that you don't even hear about, but they're they're squeaked in there. And just even in the last week alone, there's been three uh, heart attack deaths, all age uh, ages under forty. Um, so it's a it's a trade that deals with. And a lot of people don't realize, uh, you know, kind of all the the scary things that the trade has to deal with. You deal with, um, you know, for instance, heavy equipment, uh, traffic, um, electricity, heights. Um, you know, all underground, there's a, there's quite a few things that can get you. And, um, training is definitely a huge factor in preserving, you know, us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, um, with the, the journey, I want to go back to that and then we'll kind of go back into the more technical stuff and definitely sure. the, uh, the health effects. I think that's a big area that we're probably going to have a lot of parallels as well but you mentioned about doing the apprenticeship now that's that's a philosophy that we kind of got away from especially in in our profession in firefighting where you have you know your your hiring process in a good place will be quite stringent stringent excuse me and then you'll have a probation like a year a year and a half for some people but then it's kind of a drop off, you know, and then you're just thinking about the ranks. And, and I think that the apprenticeship through the journeyman mentality is a very applicable thing for 
a first responder because you like as you're saying you want to be a master of your craft ultimately and we are responsible for so many different crafts in our you know swiss army knife of skills so just talk me through kind of the the journey from day one through to retirement for um a lineman who is aggressive and really wants to get a you know uh you know the, the complete experience of the job in their career sure um like you said uh- I'm a big fan of the apprenticeship program and it's, it's one of those things like, so when somebody told me when I first became an apprentice, they said, go out and find yourself a sponsor is basically what they were, what they were saying. Find that person that you, uh, you really respect, look up to, you feel is, um, knows the job and the trade and really has that ability to pass down what he knows to you. And in a non, um, brown nosing kind of way, like do it as humbly as possible, but do everything for that person. And it's really kind of like almost a, you know, like a leadership principle, do everything for your leaders and you'll gain so much back from that. So as a young apprentice, uh, I really sought out and it was multiple people, but really sought out those people that I respected as a leader and that I would do everything I could for those people um, so that I get the benefit of their knowledge back my way. And I really kind of used that philosophy through apprenticeship to to learn the trade and learn the skills because it's a dangerous job um, and you need to be on point and you need to know, you know, all of these technical aspects of it. So um, the apprenticeship portion was a very, very big portion. I know everybody doesn't get that opportunity either to work with such a, um, you know, diverse crowd, say, as as I did, because I really, I moved around a lot as well as an apprentice, um, job to job. I kind of chose that kind of tramping path that I was talking about, that, that path that takes you to these bigger jobs that you get to meet a bunch of different people. I didn't stay really in, in one place for, for too long. Um, so it, not everybody gets that opportunity to meet those people, but if you do, I'd say, you know, seek that out. And then also, you know, with the ability to learn today through things like podcasts and audiobooks and just the, the 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 ability that we have to learn from the internet uh do your own self teaching as well like seek these things out and teach yourself um because it's going to it's going to it's going to keep you alive but it's going to keep you um with that ability to move around and do the things that you really want to do so Apprenticeship is an important part of it, but I also believe that just like taking that initiative on yourself and really seeking out um, these things that you want to learn is equally as important. Now, is there um, is it well received that the concept of mentoring within your profession that these young people, you know, obviously do not know anything. These men and women are new to the profession um, to to act as that mentor role and try and see them through the journeyman route. For sure. It's, it's something that, um, we like to, we like as linemen, we like to teach. We really do. Uh, we like to, for the most part, take the, the younger group up behind us and we like to show them what we know. I think that humans like to do that for the most part anyway. Um, but we, we really like to bring those people on and for the most part, 
um, linemen, like these older linemen are, are pretty good at picking somebody as well and, and bringing them up in the bucket truck and up in the air with them and, and really teaching them the ropes and, and letting them learn the hard way too. Um, there's quite a few times where, you know, I, I'd be all jammed up trying to do something and, um, hard love was the best, best way to learn the, you know, the, the foreman would just kind of keep an eye on you make sure you weren't going to hurt yourself or wreck something. He'd intervene at that point, but he definitely let you struggle to, to learn the lesson that you needed to learn. Um, and then kind of coach you along afterward. So it, it's pretty well received in this trade. Right. Completely random question. But you mentioned bucket truck and my son was asking me just the other day, Daddy, why is there a a bucket, like a regular five gallon bucket on the back of that truck? And you know, I I said to him, like, you know what? I've always bloody wondered that too. And I just realized I'm speaking to the exact person that can tell me. So why do, do all these trucks have that one bucket sitting in the back? Oh, James, I love this question. So one of my passions, like, I'm passionate about this job. I, I, it's been my career. It's fed my family. I, I love it. And one of the things I want to happen uh, and I want to promote is that children realize that there's, um, there's other opportunities in life outside of college and university. And there's these things called the trades and that they can choose not only to be a plumber or an electrician or something like that, but that lineman is a trade and a career path. And that I want to see every child playing with bucket trucks and we call them digger trucks or our pole setting trucks. I want to see them playing with these trucks just as much as they're playing with fire trucks and police cars and, and all these things. So that question is awesome. That bucket is for uh, transporting linemen from the ground to the pole tops where all the work is at usually um we work on all the all the wires and basically everything that you see so a lineman will take and they will they can do things like say pick any pole um that you have ever seen in any in, in any inner city environment uh or country road or whatever take any structure that you see and we can change and change out everything on that structure while keeping the power on and running so we can keep all the voltage running and the power running through these wires and these conductors and replace everything on that pole and bucket trucks help us get to that position to do that so right so i i think i didn't word the question probably because obviously we have a similar type of truck mm-hmm. in the fire service but on the bucket truck or well, most of the, the the lineman trucks i've noticed there's a five gallon bucket hanging oh from the back like behind you know on the back of the rig it's it's, pro- it's probably just the garbage pail <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah it just seems to be like they all have it and i know some had some wires in it. i thought there was some special thing like oh it earths the ground or but that was nope. it's just to spit your, your chewing gum in <laughs> pretty much <laughs> all right <laughs> damn i'm gonna have to make up a, a, a fake version then i'm like there's this tiny little <laughs> goblin that holds the power while they work on the lines and he lives in that bucket. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well then, um, so you, you talked about, you know, that's the, you know, one of the jobs. So let's now, you know, talk laterally about all the kind of, as you mentioned, like almost a special operations, um, elements of, of line work that most of us are not aware of. You talked about, sure. um, bare hand work and helicopter work. So I'd love to kind of hear, some some uh, explanations of the ones that are not 
talked or seen as much. Sure. So the we'll call them like the sexy parts of the trade are these these things called, um, like you just mentioned, energized bare hand work or the helicopter work that we do. Um, it's I, I was fortunate enough in my 15 years to kind of tick off some of the boxes of the things I wanted to do in the trade before I left um, the, the field aspect of it. And energized bare hand work was was one of those things. So um, bare hand work is it, it goes on the principles of Michael Faraday's um, idea that if you enclose a man in a metal cage excuse me, enclose a man in a metal cage and then energize that cage to whatever voltage um, the energy will flow around the man and not through him. Therefore, kind of preserving his life and allow him to do what he needs to do. Who was it's the first of, man that volunteered to test that out? Oh, buddy. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know, but I, I, I don't know if he had a, I don't know if he was volunteering or voluntold because uh, <laughs> I think it was probably a criminal or something that they just put in that suit and tried him out. <laughs> But I definitely wouldn't want to, you know, actually who may have been one of the first ones to try it might've been like Nikola Tesla. I know he, he touched on some of those things. He was an inventor from, um, the late 1800s and early 1900s. He might've been, he might've been one of the first people to actually, uh, test that theory out. But, um, that's what the idea of bare hand work is, is it it's kind of like a bird on a wire. So we wear a, uh, a suit, which is consists of a jacket that that's has like a hoodie, um, a set of pants and gloves and socks that all interconnect and, and tie together. And the suit consists of 25% stainless steel thread. So that's where you get that metal cage, um, effect and then 75%, uh, Nomex fire retardant material and through some sort of insulated platform, um, we get right on uh, energized conductors and work on them. And I myself have experienced uh, in British Columbia here, we have a lot of voltages. The highest voltage is 500,000 volts. Those are our big transmission lines that carry the voltage from the top end of the province down to the bottom and actually right down into Southern California and some of the surrounding uh, states. Um, so 500,000 volts is, is primarily what I worked on as a bare hand lineman. So, um, that's what that's, that suit did is, is really protect against that voltage and, uh, and against that, that heavy amperage that's going past you. Wow. Now, when you were working on these lines, obviously, you know, you, there's an element of safety, but are you still feeling that energy moving around your body through the suit? Good question. It's, it's really strange actually. So for the most part, the lines are quiet. You can hear kind of a, a static noise. Uh, that static noise that you hear if you're just standing on the ground is uh, something they call Corona. And Corona is, uh, in a nutshell, it's the electrons in the outer limits of the molecule when they hit an obstruction as they're going by something. And if something's really kind of uh, obstructing the flow, they will they will shoot off and spin off into the outer atmosphere and sometimes quite violently off of these obstructions. So you imagine putting a human body on uh, a smooth conductor or power line, that's quite an obstruction. So it would cause 
this um if you're to see like a, a heat shot uh of this you'd see this this raging kind of almost like a ski jump effect or, or snow blowing off of a hillside. That's what it looks like, uh, just electrons flying off into the outer atmosphere. So what it can do is if you're not wearing the suit or even sometimes if you are, uh, you can feel um, that corona nipping at your outer extremities like your ears or your fingertips. So that's another reason for the suit kind of protects you against that. Right. And if any part of the suit disconnected to break that flow, then the person that would basically be fried. No, it just kind of hurts. Um, it hurts for a minute. You do your best to get it, get it back on. It's like a, one of those things that's over time. It would, it would eat away at your extremities. Um, but just causes some discomfort and not like kind of like bee stings um at first so but if you were to go for an extended period of time it would definitely not be healthy for you wow okay so another um, image in my mind i have of power lines are the snowstorms coming in you know and and and, uh, is it your colleagues that are the ones that are also knocking the huge icicle off some of the the lines (laughs) absolutely (laughs) absolutely actually one of the that's one of the parts of the trade that we really love as well is um, the storm work. It's really unfortunate that the storms happen and cause so much, um, you know, pain and and imbalance in people's lives. But that's the part of the job that you know that that humanity part for us that we really love is coming back into a community like say after you know a hurricane in Florida or something like that coming back into the community and restoring people's lives to some sort of normalcy by getting their power back on um it's really one of those special things that we really really love to do um so that's 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 us whether it's a major snowstorm or a hurricane or any sort of natural disaster um, we're one of the first people there to to help restore some some level of normalcy. Yeah, no, it's funny. I went to uh, my last fire department on the last storm that we had heading for us. It really didn't do a lot where I was in the end, but I remember shooting like a little uh, kind of Instagram video while I was driving down, and it was just a line of first responders and you know power company vehicles. So it was interesting. Like we were talking about. Being under that umbrella of first responders, like, oh, are linemen ready first responders? I mean, what's in a name? Who gives a shit? We're all heading yeah. down the same place. You know, obviously, you guys are, are going to be doing what you specialize in. We'll, we'll do what we specialize in. You know, the, the tree fellers are going to do their stuff. The construction workers are going to do their, the roofers. I mean, we all have things that we're going to be doing, but it, these are men and women that are going towards the storm and everyone else is running away. That's the thing, James. And I, um, I appreciate you saying that. And it's, like we were talking about earlier, it's one of those linemen and firemen that keep getting lumped into this 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 one category. Like it's a, like it's almost like a battle when it, we're working together to accomplish the same goal. Um, linemen are not going to deal with the things that you guys deal with. We're not gonna we're not gonna see the things that you guys see, and it's just not what we do. But in the same sense, like you like you said, we're the ones going towards the storm. Like we're actually when a hurricane is forecasted and it's coming towards shore and everyone's leaving town, alignment are driving to the city to be ready to be the first ones, the first boots on the ground to help once that storm's come and done its thing. So in that sense, 
we're very, very similar. Um, in the other ways, we're, we're not so much. So when people keep trying to lump us into the first responder category, I get it. We are in that sense, a first responder. Um, but in so many other ways, we're, we're not dealing with what you guys deal with on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, I mean, that we talked a little bit before we, we started recording, but one of the things that drives me crazy is, you know, the word fireman, everyone loses their shit. Well, that's, that's not women. Like if, again, if you're so focused on a name, when we have a million skills and, and, and missions that we have to do and you're stuck on the name, then you're totally missing the point. Like to me, fireman means men and women. I never for a moment think that just means dudes. Um, do you have that same issue ever come up with the word lineman? Uh, absolutely. They, there was part, there was parts like my trade ticket says power line technician. And I remember when they trade, when they changed my, uh, the year they changed my trade ticket to power line technician, there was such an uproar over it because people were known as linemen. They were like, we were that, that's what we were. We were linemen. Um, so they tried to be politically correct and change the name to power line technician. And I understand it from that side of it. I, I do get it, but just like you were saying, if that's what you're worried about, you're missing the point. To me, um, lineman means man, woman. It's it's just the name that was given to us in the past, and we really that's what we're proud of. We're proud to be linemen, and I know I know lady linemen as well that are very proud to call themselves linemen. I just had one on on my show recently as well, and very proud and and same sort of philosophy as us. That if that's what you're thinking about, you're missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you could definitely argue that nurse has always been associated with a female figure. Yeah. For sure. You know, I mean, you don't see that being challenged. I mean, just, I think, like you said, it's focusing on what, and, and there's, there's guys will say, well, a fireman is the guy that throws coal into a train. Some of the, you know, yeah. the New York guys. So it's just whatever name you, you, you choose. But yeah, when, when there's so much of an uproar, I've seen fire conferences basically torn apart because they, happen to use that word you know or brotherhood or whatever now i get you know the brother sisterhood you need to be a little bit more inclusive in, in some of your verbiage but yeah that some people get so stuck on that and it drives me crazy because you know again we have a job to do and if you're farting around with stuff like that then you're totally missing the point um the, the way i go with that one more thing on that the way the way i see that is like add a solution to the problem then don't just don't just bring something up and go and complain about that. Like, oh, you said brotherhood or you said sisterhood. Come up with something to say in the that means both then. Promote that and make it mainstream. Like you have that ability now in today's world to, to drive that as well. Don't just complain about it and cause an uproar. That's, like you said, it's just silly. Mm -hmm. I use the word brother and sisterhood. That seems to cover yeah. most people, but then I'm sure there's people that now identify as different things that I'm excluding as well. You know, I mean, at what point do you draw the line you can't exclude, you know, include every single description of, of, you know, gender identity these days in without making a bumper sticker that's about 12 feet long. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so just, you know, if you understand that there, that we mean everyone, you know, unless it's a, some, you know, some person who's being hateful and is not including everyone, everyone else, you know, you know, I think you should understand that. But, I digress, as they say. Um, so let's, let's transition to some of the kind of similarities that I know that we've discussed as far as the health challenges for your profession. Um, the first one I'd love to address because it's something I talk about a lot in mine is the hours and, and the sleep deprivation. So what do you, um, 
see in your line of work as far as you know some of the hours that your men and women have to work and and the effects of those it's it's huge um when you do these when you do these these transmission projects for the most part this this tramp kind of life you you get put on a schedule that it's what you want to do. You want to work these long hours because that's where the big money is, right? These big shifts and you'll work, you'll work daylight to dark. And, um, that really, that's a, that's a 12, 14, 16 hour day sometimes, um, day after day after day. Like I think it's getting better now where they're, they're trying to run more of a schedule. That's about a, a 21 days on doing that sort of thing. Um, and a seven, six or seven days off, but I've been in the past 50, 60 days. And I know they still do this around the country where they run as many days in a row as they can doing 12, 14 hour days. Um, it's exhausting, you know, and, and if you're, if you're adding all these other things to it, like, um, not eating healthy and not getting the proper sleep that you need to recover from a day like that, because line work's incredibly physical. Um, that was the other side of it that just like the, the fire industry, it's, incredibly physical like you're um you're working at heights on poles with with hyperextended knees and you're pulling and operating from uh very um non-ergonomic positions like um you know your back gets damaged your elbows your shoulders your neck um your your arms are quite often held out uh above your head for long periods of time uh causing issues with your neck and shoulders and things like that so um there's that side of it as well as when you talk about going and and working on these storms and the aftermath of these storms uh the people that want you to work on these things quite often uh, push you as long as you can possibly go so i remember one storm i went to um to operate on after it had happened i think i saw the sun rise and fall uh, twice before I actually got to sleep. And then it was, uh, six hours of rest and you had to be back in the yard again in order to be back on the, the overtime, um, circuit in order to make the, the, make the overtime that you need to make. So it really pushes people to work these crazy hours. And, uh, I know that's what, what, we, it's a double-edged sword because it's what we like, it's what pays us, and it, it allows us to really make some some incredible money. But also the long-term health effects of doing that repetitively aren't, aren't really that great. Yeah, it's amazing because, you know, when we're young and we're sold, and I say sold, not like anyone's doing maliciously, but, but we have this idea of, you know, work, 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 I'll sleep when I'm dead. And I think I'm sure a lot of industries are, are guilty of it. I know, you know, um, my profession, you know, the overtime again is, is definitely a, a carrot on a stick, but that concept of trading your health for wealth is a very, very real thing. And there's, you know, I've heard like Tim Ferriss and some of these people talking about, you know, billionaires billionaires who worked you know all hours god sent earned incredible amounts of money and then spent the next half of their life trying to recapture their health because they were just destroyed by it and you know and where is that happy medium for the employee and the employer to you know obviously you've got to step up when there's a storm that's when we all roll up our sleeves and have to work a little bit more but then on the other side you know where where is the 
pulling on the the reins, as it were, so that we're not given the capacity to overwork, especially in your line of work and mine, where truly people can die. Yeah, and 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 promoting that, I I, be, I do believe that a lot of employers could do a better job at promoting that healthy lifestyle. It's uh, it's very important for the long term longevity of their workers and and the workforce. Um, because you know, that road life as well, like, like I was saying earlier, it takes you away from your family. It takes you away from your friends. It takes you away from that, uh, that lifestyle, um, that you could maybe get at home. Like you can, you can't get any sort of routine when you're working that sort of lifestyle. It's outdoors and it's physical. So you're getting some, um, some bit of exercise in that way. But when you're, when you're going from there and then you're spending the evening eating out at a restaurant that, that isn't healthy and then you sit around and, and drink, um, quite often you sit around and drink for the rest of the night. And then you're doing that day after day after day. Um, it's not very long before your body completely shuts down. And it's like you said, when you're younger, you're going and you're doing that. You're putting those shifts in where you're working, working hard in all that rough, tough work outside. And then you go spend all the rest of the evening uh, drinking and partying. And, and it's not even partying. It's just sitting around even drinking. You're, you're not going to get the sleep quality that everybody knows that you have a couple of drinks, even if it's one or two, you're not going to get into that, that sleep pattern that you need to, to get into to re recover from the day before. So right there, you're setting yourself up for an unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. Now you mentioned about being away from your family. So that's obviously a, you know, a, a challenge for the military. I think, you know, the, the length of their away is just is mind blowing to me that, that they managed to keep the family unit strong through those deployments. But then for us, obviously it's more longer term, but you know, every third day for most, most firefighters, um, what is the the impact of your profession as far as relationships? You know, I mean, do you see a lot of divorce and and troubles in your line of work too? Absolutely. Um, I'm myself it took a toll on on my relationship, and um, it it's it's very popular in our trade. It's a hard thing to navigate for anybody, and it's not even that. Uh, it's, it's not even that anybody is doing anything wrong. It's just that you can really grow separately and grow apart. And it takes, uh, uh, I, it's, it's a hard one. Everyone's got their own personal situation, obviously, and how they navigate through that. And I don't think there's any one particular, uh, right answer on how to deal with it. Um, obviously, like you said, the military goes through this, uh, just like we do. Like when you go, so 10 years I spent on the road, I was 300 days a year on average away from home. Um, you just grow separately, period, right? You know, and, and then you try to make these, you, you try to rekindle these relationships in the six days that you come back home or seven days that you're back home before you're gone for another month or two. Um, it just, it's really difficult. And how is that as far as parenting? Parenting, same sort of thing, right? You just got to try to make your time when you're home, um, the, the most quality that it can be. Um, I think I had heard Tim Ferriss actually say that 
um, by the time you're 18, you've already spent something like 80% of the time that you're going to spend with your parents. Um, you've already spent that time with them. And then for some, for people like us that work on the road like that or are away from our families, it's even less. So it's a struggle parenting as well. And like, there's no right playbook for it. You just do what you can to, to really make it work. Yeah. So for you personally, then having been the, the, uh, living the tramp life, as you say, to now being in this management position, what was your personal experience going from, you know, what would equate for us shifts to nine to five and, and being back in that one place? It's really hard at first because when you, it's just, I, re, I relate a lot of this to the military environment and that the fire service is the same way where you develop that brotherhood, sisterhood, um, because of the amount of time that you're spending with your community or your tribe, um, you, you develop this huge bond. And then if you add to that, your passion for what you do for a living and then you um, extract yourself from that and you almost like switch careers though I'm in the same industry now I'm not in the field doing that work with those people anymore so at first was really really difficult and uh, Jocko talks about it a lot too when people retire from the military service um, finding another um, another passion or, um, forget how he words it exactly, but finding something else to do, give yourself a mission, I believe is what he says is, is you get that, get it, you got to get another mission. So for me, it's been getting involved with those guys. So I work with the resources as well as, you know, I've started, um, my own podcast that's, you know, representing the stories from the power line industry. So it's connect, it's connecting me um, with my tribe still. Yeah. Well, I had Sebastian Younger on a couple of times and, and his book tribe really opened my eyes to that whole philosophy. And, and it, we see it in police, fire, you know, medic, military, and it's, it's so blatant, but until you're aware of that being a thing, you know, people don't realize how, it negatively affects you when you are with that group, especially if you're in with a tight, tight, you know, knit group. Um, and then you leave like the impact on your mental health. And, and like you're saying, when you go to another tribe or you, or you do something like I'm doing now with this, I mean, I get to see people from the fire service all the time and it's, it's amazing, but that's been, you know, I kind of fell over this project. You know, it started because I couldn't find anything like this out there. Um, but yeah, these men and women that, that leave and then they're, you know, like you said, say they broke up. Now they're in that, you know, one bedroom apartment. I know in my profession, whether it's retirement, injuries, promotion, when they're taken from their tribe, I see a huge correlation with that and mental ill health. I fully agree with you. It's a tough one. You really, you really have to take it upon yourself, um, to, to, to switch that. So, I believe I've been doing a little bit of, of uh, research and, and this is kind of one of my goals if I'm going to make it a goal for um, 2020 is to take it more of a deep dive into language. And what I mean by language is like self-talk and, and your own inner dialogue and your own inner language. Um, 
I've been doing a little bit of like listening to some podcasts and some things like that on, on vocabulary and self-talk and how it can change your world. So if I had any recommendations, um, I don't know a lot personally myself about it yet, but I do know that when I've taken the time to do things like journal and, and set goals or set intentions and really almost meditate on these things, I know amazing things happen. Um, this show being on your show is a result of that exact, exact thing. I can share that story in a minute, but I just believe this, this changing your inner dialogue and that inner voice in your head and making it more of a positive, uh, message, starting with yourself versus the negative one can really change your life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love to hear that story. (laughs) So, I I had planned on starting my own podcast for um, like probably about a year, and in March of last of this year, um, that was just prior to starting it. I I was you know getting into this journaling and writing things down and setting goals and in, intentions, and I had written in there that um, I, I'd been a big fan of your podcast for probably probably two years now, and. Um, I'd written in there that I would like to interview James Gearing on my show and I wanted it to be very natural. And so I have obviously like your social media pages, your Instagram pages, I would comment the odd time on some of your posts and things like that, but I wanted it to be very organic. It didn't want to seem like I was reaching out to you. And the other day when you got a hold of me, um, I was driving, I had actually just learned that a family member had, had passed away. And so I was heading to be with my, my mom, my mother and father, and I was driving and my Apple watch buzzed and I kind of just glanced down on it and it said, hi, Ryan, this is James Gearing. Would you have time to talk this afternoon? And I was just like, that was that one of those moments that was just like, wow, like, this stuff is real writing something down setting an intention creating these goals and and having an outcome from that so here we are today having a conversation and um it was something that was written down five months six months ago so i thought that was pretty cool well it's so funny as well firstly like that's actually a high expectation to talk to me that blows me away (laughs) but um you know but but the uh you're absolutely right. I mean, the what I found now, and I'm sure you're finding the same thing, is when you set yourself on a mission to do good in the world, I for, for me, three years later, I've turned around. I'm like, look at this. Look at these people that I'm around now. You know, still the same people I adore that were in my life before, but these other people now, and you find yourself... I, I, heard, I think I've talked about this before, but I, I heard someone talking about... Um, God, I forget what it was, the the actual specific um, story, but they were saying that there's people that want to be, I want to hang with Kanye one day, you know, I want to, yep. so how do I do that? And then their whole thing was, if you just set your intentions to do something good, you'll turn around one day and you'll realize you're in that circle now. And that's exactly how I feel. Like I look at my Skype list and Navy SEALs and actors and, you know, authors and incredible, you know, people doing amazing things in, you know, as, uh, as aid workers, just, just incredible human beings. And, you know, with you, you know, we, I know you started following the, the Instagram page and we, we went back and forth. But again, I didn't realize that 
your project was, you know, your alignment and you're doing it. And I look and I'm like, well, this guy started this exactly the same way as I started mine. And you're just trying to make, you know, your profession better and then reach out past that. And so it is. I mean, it's, it's so cool to see when people are coming from a good place. And I've, I've seen the projects where immediately someone's like, Oh, I'm going to start a podcast. Hey, how did you get sponsorship? I want to make money. <laughs> well, yeah. I can tell you right now, you're already on the wrong path because, you know, that side should be the very last thing on your mind. You should be trying to get out there and doing good in the world. So I couldn't agree more that with your project, just the core of it being, I want to educate people on my profession and I want to bring change to the men and women I work with is, you know, is exactly why you and I met because that was what brought us together. Yep. hundred percent. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, then let's compare some notes because I, one thing I meant to ask you, and I want to make sure we do not miss it before we're done with this conversation. Most of firefighters, if we're honest, like I said before, the one thing that scares us is electricity. I can tell you, if, even if I'm the only one, I'll, I'll put my hand up. Like to me, you know, I think the, the phrase is treat every wire as a live wire because we have no idea <laughs> about it at all. And that's a good thing. The same way as a snake, treat every snake as a venomous snake. Um, unless you're an expert in that field. So with, with our two professions, what are some of the things that you see? You've heard stories, you know, a kind of folklore in your, um, profession as to things that our community does wrong. And then how do you think we educate our community on, on better practices around power lines in general? Well, like you just said, treat my biggest piece of advice is to treat every wire like it is a live wire and stay as far away from it as you can and make sure that everyone near you is staying as far away from that as possible. Do not try to, you know, I've, I've heard things like people grabbing a two by four or some sort of thing they, they think is insulated and trying to move the wire out of the way. And, and you see the public do a lot of these goofy things sometimes when the power goes out and winter storms happen or something like that. You'll see uh, people prop wires up over their driveways so they can get underneath of it with a two by four. And what they don't realize is yes, the power might be off, but that's a conductive piece of material laying on the ground that is potentially, um, that has the potential to be energized or it's connected to the ability for it to be energized. And if it is, um, it really only takes 0.05 milliamps to stop the human heart. And, um, you know, if you put that in perspective, your toaster runs 15 amps to run your toaster. So it's, it's not a lot of power. Um, your simple household voltage is 120 or, or 220 volts, 110, 220 out of your wall. That is in the right, in the right situation. That's enough electricity to stop your heart and, and kill you. You know, obviously you got to add things like resistance and, and these sorts of factors to it. So when you're dealing with, you know, um, the wires that you see out in in the streets or in the cities those kind of wires will have anywhere from 4000 volts to 25000 volts on them uh, that's huge potential to to cause some serious damage so just stay as far away as you can and call the proper authorities and and legitimately wait for them to show up and take care of it they will make sure that the that it's disconnected from any potential source of voltage. And then they'll make sure that they 
uh, put what we call a ground wire on it. So electricity is always looking for the any and all paths to ground. That's what it's constantly trying to do is get to the earth. And so if you ground it out, you're essentially um, – and, and making it protected, making yourself protected from any of that uh, that voltage running through you because you put yourself on the same um, kind of plane or voltage potential as as any um, any electric electricity yeah. right now are there groups within your field that do um, presentations for first responders and the reason I ask i I'll give you two polarizing things when I was at Anaheim fire. They got with the local power company, and we had a great, great um, training on that. And it was probably to this day that one two-hour presentation is what I've carried through my whole career. Now, I'll give you an example of what happens when you don't give people training. I had to stop someone in my last department from going to get a K-12 to cut the lock off a pad-mounted transformer so he could then spray it with the uh, water can which uh, I don't think you have to be a trained mind to figure out that's a really bad idea. But yeah, but I mean, training versus lack of training, you know, for a first responder, you can do some really stupid things if you don't understand what you're doing. So is there, have you seen good educational um, groups out there that are working with first responders for, for this particular thing? Yes, I, I do. Um, you probably, I don't have any off the top of my head other than, um, myself uh in the training department that i'm responsible for we do have we call them trades training instructors who are um, usually um, linemen themselves and then we mix um professional professional teaching degrees with these guys so that they know how to um, actually teach uh they're adult educators as well as tradesmen so they're kind of best of both worlds and then we'll we will go around if we're if we're sought out we'll advertise it as well and help train other utilities or and or first responders firemen firefighters um, with the principles that they need to understand what to do in these situations so we we do that training and i know there is other training like that around the united states and canada probably throughout the world but you'd probably have to seek that out Right, yeah, because one thing I think I really see the the most potential for danger is when there's a transformer fire, and you know, again, we're we're taught in fire academy, yeah, that's 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 you put that out by cutting the power, not with water, foam, you know, anything else. So, um, obviously, that's directly over to you now. But I've seen some pretty awful videos of people spraying <laughs> spraying well, with water what, and all kinds of stuff. That's what you guys deal with is the water side of it. That's why it's so dangerous um, because the water that you're using has particles in it that are conductive. We do um, on, our, on our energized work um, and we work on energized power lines by actually cleaning the insulators and cleaning some of the electrical devices and towers with water, but we used um, – demineralized uh distilled water to do that with it's it's special um all the particles within that water have been removed the particles that are conductive whereas when you're just connecting to your local uh water service and spraying a transformer you're basically extending a piece of conductor 
to that thing. Like you're putting yourself right in harm's way and you're creating that path, right? So if you spray that transformer that's energized, the electricity will come right down the water, right into the end of the hose. And like I said before, it takes any and all paths to ground. If you're holding onto that hose, it's going to go directly through you, down through your feet and into the ground. Well, your heart is a, and all your organs, your entire body is across that path. You're going to take the full brunt of whatever, whatever potential voltage or current is on that. So extremely dangerous for you guys, as well as, you know, your lat, your ladder trucks and anything that you're raising into the air. Um, you got to look up, uh, pay attention to see if there's any overhead power lines up there because they may or may not be energized. Uh, but make sure before you, you know, jam a ladder truck up into the air and I'm sure you're trained on this, but it's important. Don't just throw it up into the air and, you know, there all of a sudden there's a power line up there. Same sort of thing. It's going to take that hit. So you guys definitely got to watch out for that. Yeah. Now you made me think of something. I remember, I, th- I want to say this was again, minimum standards. So when we first taught some textbook talking about if you do contact with a power line, then leap away from the truck when you get out would you suggest leap away from a truck or stay the hell in the truck till the power people tell you that it's safe to get out of the truck if you're in the truck i would not move unless you know unless it's it's obvious like it's fully engulfed in flames and the only option you have is to get out but you need to assess that situation but if it's just a wire that's laying on your truck or car just stay put. You're alive. You're not dead. Don't do anything. Just sit there till somebody comes and rescues you. Because, um, if, if it's, if it's a fallen power line that's near you, um, you can hop or shuffle, um, away. We call this, we call this step touch potential. So anytime there's a difference in voltage, uh, that's when current will flow. So the voltage is thought of as, uh, as pressure or just like water in a hose, say, right? So water in a reservoir is voltage. That's a pressure, electrical pressure. Um, the, the flow of water down a pipe is your amperage or your current and the size of the pipe is your resistance. So if your foot is in on one voltage uh, potential and your other foot is spread apart, there's going to be a difference in voltage there. So current will flow through you. If that, does that make sense? It's hard to explain over, over voice, but any separation of the feet or, or your hand to your feet, um, that's when energy can flow and then it'll flow across whatever path that is. So if your heart's in the middle of that, there's a good chance your heart's going to take a big shock. Right. Yeah, no, that does make sense. And again, I think that just underlines the fact that, you know, we, we, we really need to, to default back to your guys' expertise. And one of the areas I think that really is terrifying to me is, is arcing too, that you can be a certain distance away from a line and still be in incredible danger. Yeah. There's, um, we call them, um, minimum approach distances. So when I was a a bear hand lineman and I'm on the conductors and say, I'm coming up towards a, a tower and I'm on the bottom of the insulator string. So from my body to the tower, I have to stay a minimum uh, distance away because you do have that ability for that high voltage to arc across the air and, hit the tower because the tower is grounded and connected to ground. So 
um, the electricity is always looking for ground and sometimes just a small air gap, it'll jump that gap in arc. Yeah, very scary. There's a guy, uh, Dr. BJ Miller, I had on the show. And when he was in Princeton as a, a student, uh, there was a tram car parked. And so they, they weren't trying to do anything crazy, but they, there was a ladder on the side. So he climbed up, you know, just to kind of climb on it, be you know, a little bit foolish, but it arced from, you know, the, the, the power source into his wristwatch and he lost his left arm and both his legs just from Amazing. that. Now he survived and has become an incredible hospice doctor since, but I mean, yeah, I mean, three limbs just because of that one moment of, uh, you know, not thinking properly. Yep. Hundred percent. Yeah, we won't. We won't wear any. Uh, we don't wear any jewelry. Uh, well, it's one thing we're told not to do. People make their own choices still, but uh, metal jewelry we'll try to stay away from. Okay. Well, thank you for all that information. Because I think it would be, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a. a I think it would be a, a wasted opportunity. Is what I'm trying to say to to pick your brains with that because. It is an area we come across a lot. I mean, pretty much every house we go into initially, you know, the power is on. So we have to learn how to take that. But the other thing people forget about a lot is if any flames are licking out of a house, that line going into the house more often than not is going to be on the ground somewhere. And you add Florida where it rains all the time. I mean, the danger of electrocution is, I think, way more. Um, uh, yeah, there's a much higher danger than most of us realize for surviving the fire completely and then standing on a wire and getting electrocuted. Absolutely. Right. So then another thing I want to talk about before we transition to some some closing questions is you'd mentioned competition. So, you know, you've got the, again, the, the athletic health side of what you do. Tell me about the lineman competitions and, and what they involve. They're awesome. They're so fun and such a good way to get together in the name of in the name of safety um, and competition and compete against each other on in our world it's a it's a world platform but um, it gets to show off kind of what you train to do right like a logger sports day or i'm sure your fire service has the same sort of thing where you you run a series of competitions so in the lineman world we call them a lineman rodeo there's a big international lineman rodeo in kansas city every year um, and then they run these rodeos throughout uh, the country as well um, in different ways. But it's just a good way for linemen around around the country to come together. Um, you run a team competition as well as individual events. And some of the events are just like uh, a pole climb, fastest fastest guy up the pole and down basically and they time that and I, I think the some of the records are something like 12 seconds on a 45 foot pole so extremely fast get to the top get down um and then other ones are are that hurt man rescue where they'll have a it's just a dummy just a, a mannequin type dummy at the top of the pole it's simulating a hurt lineman and you got to go up there rig the lineman get him down safely and do that as fast as you can kind of thing and then they'll they'll mix in usually specialty events as well but it's just a it's a good way to connect as a community and also compete because you know we're all competitive people and we like the outdoors and we're at, we're athletes or athletic for the most part and uh, it's a good way to get together and do that yeah sounds like a lot of fun a great way to to maintain ownership of your craft too yeah absolutely yeah now you mentioned about hurt man again what i haven't asked about is is their opposite so we've been talking about you know us using you as a resource and and trusting your expertise when it comes to electricity and lines what about 
conversely so you know what um what are the uh the training or, or the the relationships between when you guys need us and we actually have to do rope rescue pickoffs those kind of things I think I myself haven't worked personally with it, but there's people in the, in the industry that are, they call them, um, one manners basically where they, they take the trouble calls. Um, so they'll be the, they'll be going around in a one man truck and they usually get, get to those scenes in the urban environment that are those, um, like motor vehicle accidents or those types of things from the line side of it that's where we interact with you guys quite heavily like um you know a burnt a burning building or an M- an mva that's where we're there usually to help make sure um obviously the power's off but that's when we work as closely with you something that i think that we could really learn from you guys uh as well is on the the, me- the medical side of it and the first aid side of it as is something that I, I don't think that we get enough or do enough first aid training um, a lot of the things that that instances or, or situations we run into uh, in the field I think we could do a lot of help in preventing like maybe long-term um, injuries by by paying attention to the you know, what's happened in the short term, but we don't really know a lot about it and and know how to recognize some of these things that, you know, might not just be a tweaked back, but might be actually more serious, but the guy just continues to work or, you know, those sorts of things. I think we could really learn um, from you guys on the first aid side of side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely, like you said, if you're in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, even the EMT level gives you a, a lot of information that's only six weeks, you know, so it would be a good skill to have. Um, well, then you just made me think of something else as well. So you had the uh, the competition. What about physical standards? Do you have an industry standard to keep men and women being able to to adhere to the the requirements physically of the job? No, and it's it's something that's getting. I believe it's getting better, but it's all uh, self induced. Like there's there's people that are really taking on this. This newer generation actually care about it seems like they care a little bit more about things like the environment and your personal health. And so you do see quite a bit of guys going to the gym and working out or, you know, practicing some sort of martial arts or getting into this um, eating healthy and, and that sort of stuff. You see more and more of it in the younger generations versus the older generations still have that kind of old school mentality. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's a rough, tough trade and just go out there until you're completely broken. Um, but there is no standard as of yet. It would be really nice to to create some sort of a, a physical standard because I believe it needs to exist, but it's not there yet. Right. Now, on the mental health side, I'm about to have a, a lady, uh, Sally Spencer-Thomas, and she um, has kind of found her herself as a mental health expert in the the construction world. So, you know, obviously we talk about it in the military. We're starting to talk about it in police, fire, EMS, but a lot of the other industries, you know, it's not what you think of when you think of things like PTSD or suicide. What are the uh, the stats for your profession specifically on on worst case suicide and 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 the extreme depression and alcoholism? Extreme depression and alcoholism. Um, I think they're they're 
kind of different in this sense, like extreme depression. I don't see so much. I see the alcoholism developing, um, over that it starts out as going, going for dinner on the road. And then it just ends up, you know, getting into the hotel room or whatever you got and carrying on till late in the evening. And then it just becomes that, that thing that you do and never really get rid of. It's, it's a, it's a huge factor in, um, in the long-term health of line workers and something that definitely has to be, um, combated against. Um, but I don't know the specific stats on it. I, I don't believe the suicide rate is, is very high or I haven't heard too much about it or experienced that myself, but I do know that the, the alcoholism and the, and the drugs is definitely something that, um, it's kind of just a, a way for these guys to cope, uh, being away, being away from their lifestyle, being away from routine, being away from their friends and family. And they, they just start to get into this road, this on the road mentality and kind of get lost in it a lot of the time. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I know the wildland community, wildland firefighters are seeing a, a high suicide rate as well. And, and their kind of dynamic seems to mimic you guys more than, than us in the structure side. So It'd be interesting to, to delve deeper and see if there was one or if you guys are doing something that was preventing it and, and we could learn from. I know a lot of, uh, there's a lot of companies now uh, starting to invest heavily in um, these like anonymous uh, call lines that you can call in and, and you know, provide some sort of uh, paid uh, consultation or counseling. Um, but again, it takes that person who's already hurting to, reach out and do the calling on their own. Nobody's going to them. And, and so it, it's just another layer that's really difficult for them to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. So I want to transition to some closing questions, but I noticed that on your Instagram, you have tagged the light, uh, excuse me, the line life foundation. So let's start talking about that so people can understand it and maybe even contribute. So, it, raising awareness in the line in the line community um, is just something that's starting to happen. There's not a lot of organizations or foundations specifically directed at our community. Uh, one of the ones that is out there is the Line Life Foundation. Uh, I had the uh, Anne Marie from the Line Life, one of the founders of the foundation, on the show a couple shows ago, and what they do is they're um, they're a first responder if in the case of a fatality or major incident, they use their foundation to go and help the families affected by the incident. So say a lineman dies, um, those, those families' worlds are completely changed and rocked in a moment. And oftentimes, you know, they have even, even down to their, their animals and their pets, uh, the Line Life Foundation volunteers will go and, you know, take care of their food needs, their, their families, their extended families, their, their animals and pets and look after them and make sure they have hospital accommodations or accommodations near the hospital. If their their significant others are, are needing to recover or things like that. So it's a great way to support, 
um, at that first stages of incident. And they also work into the first response side of major storms. So they'll get out and provide food for the workers um, out working these major storms. Uh, everything from food to bug spray, <laughs> things you don't think about, but down in, in Florida or, you know, Georgia or somewhere like that, when these hurricanes hit and it's a hot time of year, the uh, bugs are even crazy, right? So um, they provide they provide assistance the best way they can on that end of things. So it's a great foundation to support and get involved. It sounds brilliant. Now, I just want to say, seeing as we're having a conversation with you, so the gentleman that we lost here in Ocala was Timmy Beard. That was May 25th, 2012. So I want to make sure that we talk, you know, just say his name because hopefully people in your community will hear this conversation and I want him to be remembered. But he was he was here in Ocala. I know it shook shook our community and I, and I doubt that they had someone like the Lion Life Foundation, you know, helping his family. So I think that's fantastic that she's doing that. And uh, I hope it continues to grow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we need to say their names, right? We, we need to continue to say their name and keep uh, keep their memory alive. So that's important. I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. All right. So then transitioning to some closing questions. The first one, as you as you know, there's going to be, is there a book that you love to recommend? Can be about what we've discussed or something completely different? Absolutely. Um, I really like this segment of your show and, and I was quite excited to share this. So this book is I, I love uh, the military community and, and military books and so many good life lessons, principles, things can be drawn out of that. So along the lines of uh, alcoholism and addiction, there's a book called Fearless. It's written by Eric Blem um, and it's the Adam Brown story. Uh, Adam Brown was a Navy SEAL. Um, suffered with addiction his entire career, but was just an absolutely, his entire life, sorry, absolutely amazing uh, perseverance in this man. He became a, a Navy SEAL. I believe it was SEAL, SEAL Team 6 was his unit. He was involved with a motor vehicle rollover. I think it was Humby got hit with a IED, uh, rolled over, crushed his hand because it was a shooting hand too. It was outside the right-hand side of the car, crushed his right hand. So he had to retrain himself to shoot and, and get SEAL Team 6 standards with his off hand, which was amazing in itself. And, and then to add to that, ended up, uh, losing his eyesight in his dominant eye due to a, a paintball during a training exercise as well. And then had to retrain himself to SEAL Team 6 standards again um, with the, only the use of one eye. So like amazing, amazing life. He ended up, uh, you know, at so many opportunities where he could have, he could have died due to overdose or his addiction, but ended up fighting it and fighting it and battling against that. Um, he, he saved many of his teammates in a battle in Afghanistan and ended up succumbing to his injuries. But that whole story I love to recommend because it's such a great read and such a, an amazing, you know, just human, human book. Brilliant. Yeah. You know, I've had that recommended before. I know at least once I've done the memorial CrossFit wad for Adam, I think several times now, awesome. but I didn't realize the 
depression alcohol side and I didn't realize the injuries. I just knew that he was a seal that was that was killed. So I am gonna have to make sure I put that on top of my list. So thank you so much. Yeah. All right. So next question, a movie. Okay, a movie. I I um when I when I came out of the the field work of powerline uh powerline work i love climbing climbing towers climbing poles that whole climbing thing so i really kind of it was another one of those like um ripped away from my former life and now i do, i can't climb anymore so i had to find another uh way to get that climbing bug out of me so um i'd always been kind of a mountain climb, a hiker. I had the mountain climbing bug for a while. I wanted to climb the tallest mountains in the world, but kind of gave that up when I had children because it was a little bit too selfish at, at the time. So I, I, anyway, I took up ice climbing. And so this documentary is done. It's called Touching the Void. And it's actually, you might know the story, James, it's about two Brits, uh, Joe Simpson and Simon Yates. They go to the Peruvian Andes and climb a mountain called Sulagran. And when, when they're descending the mountain, they run into an incident where one of them um, hurts themselves. And they end up becoming separated. And it's an unreal story about uh, the human will to survive and live. And it incorporates like decision-making and um, just a really cool story. Everyone should watch it for sure. It's done. It's, it's, it's filmed really well as well. Kind of half documentary where they have the actual characters they'll uh, describe and set up a scene and then they'll have a kind of movie style where uh, actors will play the scene out um, done really well. It's called touching the void and I believe it's on Netflix. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Yeah. There's a guy um, Nims who I am trying to get on, but I know that he's just, he's like special forces british but he's um from nepal originally and uh he's the guy that rescues people when they get trapped on everest he's the dude they call amazing amazing human so i'm still working on trying to get him but um i'm hoping when he finally comes down from the mountain um i'll be able to get him because again the, the i can't imagine the stories that he's got I followed him on social media and uh, I would, I, I can't wait for that episode, James. Can't yeah. Wait for it. Yeah. Me neither. We'll have to make it work first, but uh, I, we ha I have a mutual friend, so I'm hoping that, that it, we'll get it on there. But uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that these people even do these is one thing, but then when they become the rescuer, whether it's, you know, those two that were, you know, rescuing because of necessity or someone like Nims is just, <laughs> just out there like, Hey, this is normal for me. Um, it's, it's mind blowing. So I will look at that as well. Thank you. All right. So the next question, is there a person you recommend as a guest to come on this podcast to speak to the audience? So I don't know these people personally, but I listen to their podcasts and I've listened to them for quite a while and I'm huge fans. I think they would, they would resonate quite well with your community. Um, Aubrey Marcus, uh, you know, created on it gym with Joe Rogan, I believe Aubrey. Um, I think he would be a great guest to talk to your community, Mike Bledsoe as well. Um, and, Another one, man that works with Mike Bledsoe is Mark England. Uh, they really get into that that vocabulary and self talk and that that coaching world. I, I believe Mike Bledsoe came from uh, Barbell Shrugged in the CrossFit community and has kind of gone down the coaching path and the business path. But um, 
very well educated man and and i think that those three would be great for your community absolutely well yeah i've reached out to aubrey once i need to reconnect i, I want to say you know it was probably when he was um i know he was with his his uh partner and then they broke up i think it was around that same time so i need to reconnect again i actually had mike on the show probably eight months ago now um so you look back in the catalog you should be able to see that one but he was great and again it, it was exactly that barbell shrug was definitely one of the ones that inspired me to start this the original crew um and uh yeah mike was was fantastic and then mark i'll, I'll have to reach out to as well so thank you, you all right then the last question before we talk about where people can find you and then we'll talk about your podcast next as well what do you do to decompress so i started this routine this this night routine and i really wanted to my goal for this year was to invest in sleep because um, it affects so many things. So I've started a night routine where I I, I make a tea or a, I'm a reishi mushroom drink from Four Sigmatic. Um, and I'll get in my get in bed. I'll run through some breathing exercises and I turn on um, I have a red light from Juve. And I don't know if you've talked about red light therapy or you've dove into that at all, but um, for any of your listeners, I, I would highly recommend diving into red light therapy. There's tons and tons of um, information online, scientific information, factual stuff about the benefits of red light therapy. Um, some of the benefits are like anti-inflammatory, um, improves your skin, quicker recovery after workouts and better sleep. So I'll run through this kind of routine and then try to just shut down the the phone and the social media. I, tr I say try, but it doesn't always happen. Sometimes I'll sit there and do this as I'm on my phone still. But I've noticed, um, I was trying to gauge okay, well, how do I know if this stuff is working or not? And one thing that I found is I'm dreaming again, and it's not crazy wild dreams, but I, I wasn't dreaming before. And it's the one measurement I have now that whenever I do this routine, I, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, wow, I feel like I was dreaming all night long, not crazy wild nightmares or anything, but just just dreaming. And from what I get from whatever little research I've done on that is it's put me in a, in a good state of sleep in a recovery state. And, um, I've, I've noticed that's kind of my wind down routine. That's something I do to decompress. Brilliant. Yeah. I have a, a night routine as well. I haven't done the red light stuff, so I have to look into that, but I do wear the blue light blocking glasses pretty much as soon as the, uh, the sun goes down. And I found that really helps, you know, promote that sleepiness. Um, but, it, but it's interesting you said about the dreams. I had a lieutenant, I worked with him two fire departments ago and he retired. I went to his retirement party and his party was about, I want to say it was about four months after he'd actually retired. And I asked him the same thing. I'm like, what's different? You know, are you sleeping better? And he said, I started dreaming again. I, I realized I never ever dreamed. And I had the same experience, you know, myself, you know, and it's, it's crazy because yeah, when you dream is when you're in that deep restorative sleep. And so many of us don't ever get there. So whether it's the teas, you know, the blue light, CBD, you know, whatever works for, for the individual, I think you're absolutely right. That's a great way to gauge it along with sleepiness. I mean, the whole sleep medicine world, that's their, their metric is how sleepy do you feel? Um, but yeah, but that's a very interesting metric as well is are you dreaming? Now, I know you've had a lot of, just for maybe some of the people that I know that will be listening to this, um, about sleep. You've had quite a few people on your show. And 
that that dreaming state am i right by saying um when you get into that dreaming state that's that's when your brain is kind of deciding uh when or what it wants to let go of from the day before and when it what it wants to keep and it's that whole processing part i believe so yeah i mean there's there's hormonal flushing there's all those all kind of i think this the cerebral fluid i think does does a kind of flush but yeah from what i understand um and you know there's, there's all people with different uh, philosophies but whatever you've had that day is all stored in that hard drive and then just like you said you're kind of filtering out what needs to be kept and the interesting thing with trauma is you know over time say i see something horrendous on, on, a, on a crash today you know that i think that's also how that's processed as well so god forbid you witness a fellow lineman you know dying or something something awful you you get called to a traffic accident with an energized wire and you witness what happened the the sleep is when you process that from that short-term memory the front of the brain to the long term in the back so it doesn't become that triggering constant flashback memory but it becomes a more of a distant memory so all that happens so if you're not sleeping not only you know are you less focused and and more kind of uh you know white noise in your mind but also there may be some trauma that you were never able to process and that can contribute to mental ill health as well sure Cool. So, <laughs> hope that helped. But like I said, I'm not a I'm not an expert. No, there, are, there are some great people to ask. I, I'm not an expert on it either. And but it's something that's really interested me because I I believe so heavily in good sleep. Yeah. No. I mean, it's categorically the thing we we miss the most. In fact, uh, I just had Chris Hinshaw on the show, who you know trains all the top CrossFit athletes, and he's an elite athlete himself. And you know, he said that's the one thing people miss when they're trying to. You know, lose weight, for example, is, well, I diet and exercise. He said, no, there's a third prong to that fork and that's sleep. If you are eating well and exercising, but getting shitty sleep, his thing was like, you almost need to just, you, you're wasting your time. So I think that our generation now, this next decade, people are truly going to really start understanding how important sleep is. And then the discussion that we had earlier about the mass overtime, I think people are going to get it as an employee, as an employer, like, oh shit. This, this extra money I want to make, that might give me heart disease 10 years from now. Maybe I should think about A, a working my people this hard or B, choosing to work this hard, depending on which side of the, the coin you're on. Awesome. Brilliant. All right. So then let's talk about your podcast. So tell sure. me what made you start it and then, um, you know, tell me some of the, the highlights of, of your experience so far. What? What made me start it was like I, when I seen, um, when I first learned about the storytelling in the industry back in the day when I'd sit around the table with my dad and whatever lineman he had in the house telling stories, um, and then actually becoming one of these people myself and ga gathering these stories, um, myself and then not having a way to share them. And if you look around our in industry, there's very few books written about power line work or the stories within it and it, there's a lot of people with great stories to tell so i was uh i was just like what modern way could i capture these stories and and i loved podcasting so i kind of put the two together in the best way that i could and so it's really just a place for um stories to be told and i i I want to work in the health and wellness component uh, to it to it myself and and help better the lives of the the people that I've that that have helped me and that I've been a part of my tribe. Brilliant. Now, 
one of the most rewarding things for me is, you know, when you get that text message, that comment, you know, whatever it is, I listened to person X and this is how, you know, it changed my life. Did, have you had any of those, you know, that, that kind of come to mind? So many people that have found the industry, um, because of listening to the podcast now. And it just, it's like they they reached out and they're like, I didn't know what to do with my life. I've tried school. I, I didn't like university. It wasn't for me. And I found your podcast. I started listening to some of the guests and I just was like, I like the outdoors. I like hard work. I like heights. I like all these things. I've gave it a shot now. And it's, they found their path and found their career. Um, the majority of the good things that have come out of the podcast so far have been kind of around those people finding it for the first time, getting into it and getting excited about it. And they found what they want to do now. So that's been really cool. That is very cool. And actually thinking about it, I mean, for example, a lot of the the wildland firefighters, you know, I don't know if it's known to do like a full 20, 30 year career. You know, it's more, almost more like military service. A lot of them are do, you know, a few seasons and then transition to urban firefighting or something else. But I could see how that would be a great group of men and women for your profession too. They're used to working outside and, you know, the, the, the manual labor, but maybe it's a little more secure and rewarding financially and more stable for their families than, than working seasonal firefighting. Absolutely. So there you go. <laughs> All Sounds right. Good. So the Powerline podcast, how can people find that? Um, I'm most active on Instagram at Powerline Podcast on Instagram, or you can also find me on IG at Ryan W. Lucas or PowerlinePodcast.com. Fantastic. Well, Ryan, I want to say thank you so much. It's been great learning about your industry i mean obviously i only know you know the few things i see like there's that truck with that bucket hanging out the back where that goblin <laughs> lives but um <laughs> but you know to, to learn that and then um you know pull out some educational things because um the the fear of electricity i think is a very healthy one for us we're not trained very well in it and you guys you know you, you spend your career around it so i hope that it will make a difference safety wise to people listening and obviously the parallels we've talked about in the health side as well i hope that transitions to your audience and my audience i'm very honored to be on your show james and thank you very much <laughs> <laughs>